Welcome to Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Lindner, one of the careers consultants for the Dixon Poon School of Law, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Pavel Guzik. Pavel is a future pupil barrister at 24 Old Buildings, who are a leading commercial chancery set of chambers in London. After graduating from King's with a first class LLB law degree in 2019, he obtained a distinction in the MSc Law and Finance degree at the University of Oxford completed the LLM Bar Vocational Studies degree at City University of London as a Lord Denning Scholar of the Honourable Society of Lincoln's Inn and was called to the bar in 2021. He has spent the past two years working as a law lecturer at UCL, King's, LSE and Queen Mary and in recognition of his teaching excellence, Pavel recently won the 2021 Excellent Feedback Award in the university-wide King's Education Awards organised by King's College London. Welcome, Pavel. Thank you very much for joining me today on Let's Talk Law. Um, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. It's really nice to be able to give back to the King's community. Wonderful. So my very first question for you, um, and it wasn't that long ago, but I'm going to take you back to your decision to study law at King's. So tell us a little bit more about that. I decided to study at King's because, you know, as a, as a person moving here from abroad, specifically from Poland, I really wanted to live and study and eventually work in a major city, which would, ex which would allow me to gain exposure to people from a variety of backgrounds um, and just sort of develop myself intellectually in a way that perhaps other universities wouldn't allow me to. Um, and King's College London seemed like a perfect place for that. I mean, from the very beginning, from when I arrived, I knew it was the right choice, right? I mean, I it fully immersed myself into the student community there. I joined societies. I participated actively in classes. I, you know, I explored London as well. I mean, it's a beautiful city. And for someone who has never really lived abroad, um, and especially lived in such a major city, it was a really uh, something to cherish and make full um, use of. So that was the reason, really. I mean, and I obviously, in addition to the obvious, like, academic excellence, uh, top rankings and all that, well, that goes without saying, surely. <laughs> yeah, and and you were one of the, I guess, lucky students in the sense that you, you, you graduated before the COVID pandemic, so you did have a fully in-person student experience at King's and um, you, you touched upon it there but tell us a little bit more about your student experience outside of your studies. What did you get involved with? What did you learn about yourself? Um, certainly. So I primarily got involved with the plethora of law related societies at King's of which there are many, and uh, as far as I'm aware, there are even more now. So I think clearly... there's about eleven or twelve at the last count. They may well, I may have got that wrong, but it seems like that's a sort of a, a familiar number. Yes, yeah, so there's definitely an upwards um, ten, like tendency here. Uh, but yes, I pr primarily got involved with the the bar society because from the get go, I felt that that would be the best career for me. Um, just it was always my image of a lawyer, right? And I wanted to go to court, sort of speak up, advice, and I and also be self-employed. And I felt all those qualities would be served well by a career at the bar. But at the same time, I made sure to really explore my options. I also joined uh, the Law Society. I went to all the solicitor events um, and related careers, uh, just to really immerse myself into the profession. I mean, I didn't know any any barrister or solicitor when I moved here, not even a British person, to be honest. So it was really important for me to fully immerse myself. And I did that. And I think 
this initial takeaway that I got out of it was um, this increasing level of familiarity with the legal profession that ultimately sort of kings and societies at kings were able to provide me with. Uh, and then with that obviously comes confidence, and a certain network that you develop, um, and obviously certain um, achievements as well and skills, for example, for participating in competitions, etc., or workshops that then allow you to proceed to a good, you know, to, to applying for jobs and a proper career in law. So yes, that, 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 that was, I think, the main takeaway. So I mostly did the law societies. Uh, I was a first year rep. I was like, you know, like doing like moots and events and all that. And it was great. I loved it. I mean, I'm a kind of person who really enjoys being uh, busy. So I think that just studying alone would not satisfy me. And almost it gives you a good structure to your day, right? Because, you know, you have so much to do. Um, you have to find time for all of it, right? So that that's what I did, and I I loved it. I loved every second of it. Well, that's really great to hear. And, and as you know, things are very much returning to in person. So I hope that students listening to this will will relate to a lot of what you've said. Uh, you've touched upon it there, but my next question was going to be around how you approached researching your career options. And you said that you know you thought the bar was pretty much what you thought you were going to do from the get go. But w apart from the societies. What resources helped you most as you were going through that, what can be a very long, but a very important research phase of your career journey? Um, there, there was a variety of resources that I made use of. I mean, of course, just at King's itself, we have King's Career Service, which provides a lot of valuable information, and I made use of that. Um, I participated in, for example, mock interviews and various workshops, and that was really useful. Um, just, just to get the first-hand experience of what it can entail and just to boost your confidence. I also ma made use of being in London, just sort of going back to the theme of being in London. By being in London, you have access to you know, chambers, law firms, they hold open days, open evenings. Um, back then it was only in person, now it's a mix of virtual and in person. But you know, whatever it is, it really sort of gives you this extra level of insight that you need. So I made, I went to multiple open evenings. Um, you know, I, when it comes to ins of court, I went to walks around them. I went to university dinner just to meet people, just to really get this extra level of knowledge. Uh, when it comes to online resources, I also made use of websites such as um, Chamber Students or maybe Legal 500, Legal Cheek, uh, Pupilition, How to Get It. There's and and others. There were many, many resources available for people that perhaps didn't have the exposure to the profession, not just the bar, but just in general, um, that, that perhaps, uh, you know, like that they wanted to acquire. So, um, so yes, through that, uh, I think I sort of gained this good level of familiarity. Oh, and a final thing, of course, fellow students, right? I mean, King's community is very supportive of one another. Um, and older students were always willing to, you know, lend a helping hand, you know, provide some extra uh, extra advice, perhaps even show an application form that, that it was successful. So that was really useful uh, just to have this sort of, I want to say cross-generational, perhaps not so, so many generations, but uh, just like cross-level sort of uh, support and and you know those friendships and connections and network like re remains with you after you leave Kings as well. I mean, I'm still benefiting benefiting from that, as well as giving back to younger students. Yeah, well, that's great to hear, and I totally understand what you're saying about the Kings family being very supportive. It really, really is. Um, and actually, a, a sort of a side question, Pavel. 
something that I talk to students about is, you know, if you're thinking about going to the bar, you know, it, the importance of seeing what a court environment is like. Um, the courts, I think, are opening a lot, up a lot more now for people to go in and, and, and watch when they're in session. But is that something that you did? Or if you didn't do it, would you encourage students to make use of being in the middle of le legal London while they're actually studying here? Definitely. I mean, I did that. Of, I mean, in, in addition to legal tours around scenes of courts and around courts, I also went into like the real courts of justice just to see the court of appeal hearing. You know, like it is accessible. All of it is available. And it's just so incredible to see those wonderful advocates in action. Because, of course, mooting is one thing, but seeing the specialists doing what they do best is ultimately, you know, like should be sort of this sort of guiding factor in your sort of career like journey towards the law and towards the bar uh because you know that should be a source of inspiration um speaking of that i think another way of sort of experiencing courts and the way legal profession works would be doing mini pupillages of course i mean um it is they're an invaluable source of information as well and you can apply from the very first year i i applied for my first mini pupillage i think in march of my first year um, and I was actually successful. Um, I, I did because I, mean, I didn't know anyone. I wanted to just to see if the bar would be for me and would embrace me for what I am. And and they did. I mean, as a as a general advice, I would encourage also mini pupillage. It's essentially like an extended open day, what I yeah. would call it. So two, three days uh, just for you with a barrister. You shadow them. Perhaps you sit with them in, in their chambers or in their office or you go to court with them. Depends on chambers. And that that way you get this sort of uh, good exposure you get to ask questions wonderful um you can apply in the first year as a general rule i would encourage perhaps starting off with a criminal mini pupillage because i know they're a bit more flexible because it's a matter of just you know assigning you to a barrister going to court perhaps to the old bailey which is the main criminal court in london um and it's fascinating even though i'm going to be doing commercial chancery law my first two mini pupillages were criminal and I loved it. I saw like a rape trial, also a murder trial. And those experiences definitely shaped me as a future candidate uh, for becoming a barrister. Yeah. So you've gone down that route of deciding that, yes, I could see myself being a barrister. The next very challenging part of the, select, uh, of the career journey process is deciding what type of law you want to practice. So as you said, you've gone down the commercial chancery route. Why did you make that decision? What was it about that area of law, those areas of law that made you think, yep, that's where I see myself being? Yeah, I would say that the primary factor was my academic interests to date, which sort of to an extent guided me towards this area of law. I mean, ultimately, being a barrister is to, to, to a large extent a very academic vocation. I mean, it's very important to have a good academic ability, ideally evidenced by good, if not very good grades. And that sort of partially informed my choice. Um, at university, I primarily enjoyed private law subjects, if you want to call it that. So contract law, property law, trust law, and related. Of course, you know, you can do options such as company law, etc. I did well in them and I felt that I would like to do this in practice. Now, that's not to say that I knew exactly what I was signing up for. I mean, when you apply for pupillage, you have to re retain a certain level of flexibility. Of course, I mean, commercial chancery, what does it even mean? Commercial means, you know, business contracts. Then commercial chancery will mean 
company law, insolvency law, and then traditional chancery, because my chambers is all of it. Traditional chancery means wills, trusts, um, perhaps some land law um, and some offshore um, disputes as well. So it's a wide range. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I knew exactly what you know, those more specific areas of law would entail in practice. But I was I had a keen interest in them. And I academically, that's what I explored uh, through many pupillages. That's what I enjoyed. And then perhaps uh, uh, just also through my teaching experience and from my master's degree, I gained those extra insights into those areas that ultimately led me down this path that I'm very excited. I mean, sounds that sounds great. It's uh, it's intellectually stimulating. It often has an international dimension with foreign clients or foreign um, pieces of law. Um, and yeah, and it's a wonderful community of people as far as I am concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like that idea about, you know, having that open mind and that flexibility, which I would say all employers, regardless of what you end up doing as a profession, ideally wanted a candidate. But you also, I guess, saw what you were excelling in academically and what you were enjoying and how that helped you to guide towards the right place for you. So you left King's and as we know, you, you did very well at King's academically and you then decided to apply for and you got a place on the Masters in Law and Finance at Oxford. Why did you decide to do a Masters? And why that particular course? I decided to do a Masters because, um, and firstly, I always had this idea that I would do a Masters. I felt that I wasn't done studying law yet, so I felt that it would be nice to just explore uh, law at, in more detail and a, on a more advanced level and exactly the kind of law that I was interested in as opposed to of course the more general approach that you necessarily have to do have to, have to adopt in law school um so that was the reason I also I mean coming from Poland in Poland most people have a master's degree so I just sort of felt that always inherently that I was destined to do one but I mean in just on a more practical level I think that doing a master's especially in when it comes to the barrister career, it can be useful as an as an indicator of the fact that you're quite academic, your 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 intellectual ability is up to scratch. Uh, and while it's not obviously it's not compulsory, and there are people who get pupillages without it, it's just a nice uh, just a nice extra factor that some chambers may consider. And also, I think what is not often spoken about is just it it gives you an extra year to mature and sort of grow into yourself as a person, as a lawyer. The bar is sort of really very much relies on this maturity and integrity. And I think just having this extra year to reflect upon my skills was very useful. And then when it comes to the master's in law and finance, um, I've always had a variety of interests. Of course, law was one of them, but I also felt that exploring a different discipline, even if only for a year, would be useful. And you know, when I was in high school, I did economics, for example, and I felt that perhaps doing law as combined with finance would be a nice blend of my experiences in high school at, at university. Um, also, barristers and solicitors as well, actually, like, as a matter of fact, many aspiring solicitors do this master's as well. So I would also recommend that. Uh, it gives you, not only gives you a good advanced level of exposure to law, but also it gives you a very good grounding and sort of more commercial business acumen or commercial awareness as some law firms especially call it um, 
it gives you this sort of good level of understanding of financial factors, of financial regulation, of the way I don't know, bonds work or tax works. Um, and I and I do think it's going to be useful in practice. I mean, ultimately, even don't I wouldn't I would not like any student listening to this to get an idea that a barrister is just an academic that sort of writes an article and somehow this wins the case. Ultimately, barrister is like an advisor or a consultant who has to guide the client towards the right solution. And most clients, at least in my field, are interested in money, right? And if they're interested yeah. in money, then financial and business factors definitely come into play. You know, do we sue? Do we negotiate? Do we settle? All of it is not just legal, but also business business related. Um, yeah, so that's sort of uh, that was the reason why I did this master's, right? And then obviously, um, just when it comes to it, this master's, only offered at a few universities, and uh, I so happened that I got into Oxford, and I just felt there would be a nice change of scenery uh, from London, and I did enjoy it. Um, obviously, towards the end of my master's, it was affected by COVID, yeah. so yeah. perhaps my experience as a student was not uh, as incredible as it would have been otherwise, but it was what it was. I cherished for what it is. I enjoyed my year in Oxford, but I'm also glad to be back in London. I definitely yeah. prefer London, yeah. so. Okay. <laughs> um, and you had then had to go on and do the bar course, which is what all aspiring barristers have to do. And I think it would be really useful and helpful for our listeners if you were to tell us a little bit more about what should an aspiring bar a barrister expect from the bar course? Because there's actually, in my opinion, not that much information out there about, because it's something you just have to do. So tell us a bit more about the realities of it, Pavel. Yes, certainly. So Barker's is a professional course lasting, lasting a year usually, which is a necessary component of your journey towards a barrister career. So essentially, while at university you study academic law, so for example, you know, what what a what is a contract? What are its elements um, from the academic perspective? During the bar course, you may actually look at a contract and try to perhaps analyze it in the context of a dispute that you will then sort of have to prepare a skeleton argument on, or perhaps um, some other pleading or opinion. So the bar course essentially is is trying to apply the legal skills that you acquired in the professional or practical context. So a lot of it is a lot of the assessments during the bar course are based on skills as opposed to knowledge. So it's going to be, for example, oral skills, how to cross-examine a witness, how to conduct an examination in chief, how to present oral submissions um, during a hearing. Obviously, to an extent, it's similar to a moot, but but then you know, during the bar course, you learn how to do it properly. Uh, following all the formalities and procedure, which may, you you know you may sometimes ignore to some extent during a moot, just for the in the interest of time, um, you also learn how to hone your written advocacy because while at university you learn how to write an essay or an answer to a problem question, during the bar course you learn how to write an opinion based on the evidence and and law. Uh, and evidence is not just one page of facts, but for example, 15 pages of documents, emails, etc. So you really learn how to sort of consolidate uh, all those information, apply it to the law, and then produce an opinion, which is not only legal, but practical as well. So, so it gives you, like at its core, the Barkers gives you this core understanding of what uh, being a barrister is, and perhaps the sort of like foundational set of skills. Now, 
Of course, you're going to develop those skills further during a pupillage, but it, it's the sort of basis that every barrister has to acquire. Uh, and it, it, is an, it, it is a fairly enjoyable year, I suppose, just sort of doing something different. Um, and I, you know, and ultimately it's necessary. So whether you like it or not, you have to go through with it. But thankfully, you know, like the inns of Cardinal that provide a lot of support for that. You can get a scholarship, for example, etc. Yeah. As you say, it's all about preparing you for the next stage of your career, which is the pupillage. Um, and I'm interested to understand how you went about selecting which chambers to apply to, because there are a lot and they all do slightly different things. Um, and as you very helpfully explained, yours is, is quite broad, the, uh, the chambers you're joining in terms of the types of work and clients that they're doing. But there's loads to choose from. So how did you go about selecting which ones to actually take your time applying to? I knew what my interests were, and that was the starting point. At the same time, I, re I, re I re retained an open mind and made sure that I wasn't just too narrowly focusing on one area of law. Uh, ultimately, I don't think any applicant really knows what a job done by given chambers actually entails. Uh, they all do a variety of work. All of it is interesting. If you don't find it interesting, you probably haven't explored it well enough yet. So I, I remain retained an open mind. What I did essentially, I produced a list of chambers which I would be interested in on the spectrum of purely commercial, commercial chancery, and perhaps some commercial slash civil and, and sort of use this as the basis from applications. And the, the one thing to note is that you can actually make a lot of applications, perhaps more than you may realize. Um, there is a website called Pupillage Gateway through, you, through which you submit applications. All of, all of the vacancy, pupillage vacancies are advertised there, and then many chambers actually recruit through this website. So you can submit up to 20 applications through the website and then unlimited number outside. So if you end up applying for pupillage, I would definitely encourage to at least encourage you to at least apply perhaps to 15 or 20. You can even apply to 30 or 40. I know people who did that. And to be honest, successfully so. So all power to them. Uh, there is no such thing, I, I believe, as quality over quantity. I think it's possible to achieve both. If you put enough time and effort into it, it's possible to achieve both. And I would encourage you to do that. So that's what I did. I mean, so I applied to a fair range of places. Um, I, it so happened that I pretty much got one of my top choices, which I was very pleased about. But I would be I would have been just as pleased if I ended up in perhaps one of my like lower level choices. I mean, ultimately they're all great and it's a very competitive process. Um, you know, every chambers will offer perhaps two or three, perhaps four pupillages. You have to play the game, right? You cannot just apply to one set and expect the best. At the same time, please don't get discouraged if you just get rejected by one or two places that you felt were the right fit. The place that will choose you will be the right fit. Yeah. And as you say, it's it's normal when you are going down the bar route um, to sometimes go through two or three rounds of pupillage applications. And I think people need to realise that that's, that's often the norm rather than the exception. Um, and let's talk about that pupillage selection process, because, again, compared to the solicitor route, I feel there's less 
written about it. There's less information about it unless you're very, very focused on it. So for those listeners of ours who may be thinking, oh, actually, what do you have to do to get selected for pupillage? Um, so tell us what happens in a typical process and, and what would your advice be to students in terms of preparing so that they're ready for that process? The process usually starts with a written application. Uh, written application consists of listing your grades, listing your work experience, perhaps your achievements, awards, interests, and then answering a few chamber specific questions. I mean, the most obvious questions would be, why do you think you want to be a barrister? What qualities do you have that will make you a good barrister? Why these chambers? Those are the most obvious questions. Then you can have questions like, uh, what law would you reform or how do you deal with in it? How would you deal in a situation where X happens or perhaps some ethical dilemma or maybe even some small legal problem question? Quite rare, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. So there's a variety of questions that you have to sort of prepare answers to. And that's already the first stage of your assessment. And it's really important not to neglect that. Many, many people think that barristers are just oral advocates, but that's not really true. Even criminal barristers who do a lot of oral advocacy have to be good written advocates as well. So you really have to sell yourself properly here. Present your accomplishments and evidence in the most appealing way possible uh, and, and answer directly the question. Hopefully it will allow you to proceed to the next stage. Um, then the next stage usually consists of a series of interviews perhaps intertwined with a written task of some sort. Um, unlike law firms, it's quite rare actually to have very elaborate um, assessment centers or, or perhaps multiple video interviews and online tests. That does not mean that this process is easier, it's just different. Um, but essentially, usually you have a first round interview, during uh, which is probably going to be a slightly shorter, slightly more informal, to get to know you, to perhaps again explore reasons why about why do you want to be a barrister, perhaps um, ask you one or two situational judgment questions or ethical questions, and maybe a legal problem question. And if you succeed at that, you will proceed to the second stage. Second stage, I think in many chambers will include a written task of some sort. So perhaps you'll be sent a short brief and asked to write an opinion. Um, or maybe it's a skeleton argument. And on the base of it's it, and then it's either going to be its own stage, which will later determine if you get the final round, or it will be combined with the final round, which will be a more in-depth examination of your reasons why you why you want to be a barrister, your legal analytical skills, and all that. So that's sort of so from that, I think a clear picture is being painted that ultimately to succeed in this, uh you need both written and oral abilities as combined with intellectual abilities and perhaps some extracurriculars and interests that will make you stand out from the crowd, that will make you a more interesting candidate. I mean, one thing you have to bear in mind um, as a student listening to it is that uh, unlike law firms, perhaps, who have um, multiple slots every year, chambers are choosing one, two, three people. They're essentially choosing a future colleague. You have to be a very, it's not just a job. I mean, it is just a job, but also it's more than that, right? It's almost, it's a way of life. You're joining a chamber, so you're joining a collective of perhaps 
30, 40, 50 barristers with whom very likely you're going to spend a large chunk of your career with. So you really have to show them that you're a full-blown individual, that you can stand your ground, you're mature, you're not only intellectually able, but also you can get along with them and you can contribute, add value to, to the chambers as a whole. And I think that's ultimately what this process is trying to distill out of candidates. Um, and 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 that's that's really what it is. I mean, it may sound simple. It's definitely not simple. And I agree also with what Caroline said that it may take you a few tries. And that's okay. I mean, you learn from every mistake. You learn from every error, from every failed interview. I mean, every applicant. I mean, obviously me myself included had those interviews, which you know now we could talk about like uh, as if they were horror stories. And that's okay. You know, you learn from them. And ultimately, when you succeed, when you get this offer, you know, it makes it all worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, any top tips for preparing? You know, particularly those sort of those interviews, um, because I guess they will vary on who whoever is in front of you, the style that they have, and maybe the types of questions that they like to 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 put to put to put towards candidates. Yes, definitely. I mean, what I did was actually. I had a massive document with all the written questions um, that I gave, provided answers to at the written application stage, and then I would sort of make sure to remember them, perhaps even memorize them, because a lot of them were likely to appear at the oral stage as well. Ultimately, if one chambers may ask you a question in writing, the other may ask you the same question in person. So that was one way of perhaps easing my mind or like or making sure that I'm not as stressed as perhaps I would have been otherwise if I didn't have this at the back of my mind. So in addition to that, I always had a few examples uh, that I could draw upon while answering those situational judgment questions. I mean, I'm sure all of you listening, by the time you apply for pupillage, will have done some extracurriculars or perhaps had some more experience, might be volunteering. And, you know, all of those uh, experiences can give you a nice fodder of examples that you can use. And obviously they can also be molded to an mm. extent to the demands of the question. Um, one thing I would perhaps notice, ideally you would, it would be great to have a different example for every question if you're giving multiple, just to show that you have some range. Uh, but ultimately it's about the content of your example as opposed to just another name thrown uh, into the ether. Uh, but yes, I mean, besides that, I mean, I would make sure to obviously sleep well the night before, you know, wake up, sort of have a clear mind. Um, and just try not to be so stressed about it um, because it's gonna, you know, they're gonna be able to tell and they're looking for someone who can work under pressure and who can sort of deal with the unexpected. During the interview, if you get a difficult question, it can always take perhaps three, five seconds to just um, take a breath or perhaps even have a sip of water just to collect your thoughts and then proceed. And then as a final sort of advice, I would always, I mean, it's, it's, I would always encourage students to adopt a structure to their answers. Um, it may depend on a question, but I think generally speaking, most questions can be answered with, that's the answer and here are the three reasons why, or here are the two reasons why, and then you follow the structure. Uh, it may sound trivial, 
but I assure you that many students or many applicants don't really follow the structure. They are, their answers are all over the place. And then they get rejection feedback that they weren't structured enough. Yeah, like, that clear, concise language, which for those of us who are on the peripheries of understanding what barristers do, you know, that's what you see advocates on the television. That's what you see them being able to deal with the pressure. And I was very taken, particularly what you said there about, you know, they are going to put you under pressure in a way that it, maybe to a different extent in pupillage interviews compared to other parts of the profession or because that's what you're doing on a day to day basis. That's really fascinating. Thank you so much for helping to bring that to life a little bit more. Um, Final couple of questions from me. And I, I've got to obviously ask you about this wonderful award that you recently got for your teaching. Um, but you, you know, you've been teaching at four of the major London universities, each of whom have got wonderful law schools. Um, I'm just interested to why why you did that. Why did you choose to teach and what you've learned about from the experiences? And obviously, congratulations on your award as well. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I mean, it was a wonderful recognition of my achievements. Um, it was especially, you know, touching to receive it from King's students. Yes. King's so that was, that was wonderful. Uh, but yes, why did I do this? Uh, why did I do this? I mean, I always felt that teaching would be an appealing um, career for me, even if it would be only temporary. And I wanted to see it firsthand if I would be good at that. I mean, it so happened that I suppose I, to an extent, was. <laughs> but the reason I did it, I mean, firstly, during the bar course, I did it part-time. So I, I was lucky enough to secure a job as a visiting lecturer at King's teaching contract law uh, alongside my full-time bar course. And it definitely, uh, and I did it, obviously, just to give back to King's community, but also to perhaps also acquire new skills uh, that could be useful for my pupillage applications. Um, I learned how to explain difficult legal concepts in a simple manner to people who may not be aware of them. Because they were usually first year students. And I think the skill of distilling sort of the difficult concepts into the essentials and then explaining them to people is important for a career at the bar. Um, same reason, uh, another reason why Teaching taught me how to interact with uh, people, with students of a variety of backgrounds, with a variety of opinions. Um, and again, this sort of ability to control the room, but also at the same time, make sure that you're not just a controller, you're not just a leader, but you're also a facilitator of a discussion that everyone can benefit from uh, was uh, key while, like, while applying uh, to become a barrister because another, that's another skill that you need. You know, you're going to be holding conferences with clients, with solicitors. You need to please everyone in this room. And that, that's what you do as a teacher. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it while doing it part time. And then I secured my pupillage in May 2021. Um, so usually when you get a pupillage offer, you get it like a year in advance. So my pupillage is to start in October 2022. Uh, because of that, I had a year off and I asked myself, what would I really enjoy doing in this year off? And perhaps if you asked me a few years ago, I would have never said, well, obviously I'm going to be teaching at the university. I don't think that's what many people would say unless they from the get go wanted to be an academic. Uh, but I really enjoyed it and I felt, well, perhaps that would be a nice thing to do. Um, so I spent the summer applying uh, to, to King's and also to other universities in London um, just to see if it was even possible to do it full time. 
I'm, and I was lucky enough to secure those jobs. So I, I was teaching, I mean, I was teaching contract law at UCL, but also, for example, I was teaching land law, sorry, contract law at King's, but I was also teaching land law at UCL and like EU law at LSE, for instance, and also at Queen Mary law in context. So it was a nice sort of breadth of um, experiences, breadth of legal subjects that kept me on my toes and yes. made things interesting, uh, but also obviously filled up my time. And I can honestly say that after two years of teaching at university now, uh, I'm a much more confident lawyer. I can I and can understand issues in those subject areas, but also in other areas way, e way more easily. Um, and I feel ready for, for pupillage. I mean, I feel I'm a ma much more mature candidate. Even after securing pupillage, I still feel I matured and grew into this lawyer that I want to be, I suppose. And yeah, that because you're continuing to get practical work experience and regardless of whether it's teaching law or practicing law and it sounds as if you've enjoyed keeping your legal brain ticking over as well and keeping yeah. that fresh as well um pavel we've come to our very final question and you you, you have been offering this throughout our conversation but uh, any sort of final practical pieces of advice you can offer to students who are keen to explore and perhaps ultimately pursue a career at the bar um, certainly. So my main piece of advice, which also aligns with what I was talking about, is that you really should just go for it. You shouldn't be intimidated by the bar um, because perhaps you don't know any barrister or perhaps you're not from London. It really is possible. Also, I suppose I'm a good example of a person who comes from perhaps not the most obvious background, being being Polish, being an immigrant in this country. Um, you know, maybe perhaps some people would think that that's impossible to become a barrister. And yet, you know, I'm proving it's possible. I know a few people who are also doing that. And, and it's really a very welcoming and wonderful profession. Every barrister, every barrister, uh, every pupil barrister and future pupil as well will be more than happy to help you answer questions. It's this profession is built upon trust and support and helping one another because, you know, older barristers, they know that the, the juniors, uh, the applicants are struggling and they're always willing to offer their help and support. So I would really sort of encourage you to not be afraid. And it will take a few more years, most likely. It's not as clear cut and obvious as perhaps becoming a solicitor that you get so much information about, but it's definitely worth it, I think. And just uh, just for the, for the nature of the job, for the self-employment, also for the intellectual challenge, essentially, if you enjoy academic side of law, if you enjoy solving problem questions, writing essays, and you're good at it, well, that should be the most obvious port of call for you. Um, and I hope that at least some of you will leave this uh, podcast with perhaps some some thoughts about it, some conclusions that perhaps that would be a good idea uh, to pursue a career at the bar. And I'm very much going to keep my fingers crossed for all of you. Thank you very much, Pavel. That's I um, couldn't have put it better myself. And well, we have come to the end of our time together. But before I let you get on with the rest of your day, I just want to remind our listeners that we'll be back soon with a new episode of Let's Talk Law, when we're speaking to somebody else from the extended King's family about what they have been doing since they've left the, the university. But in the meantime, and on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been absolutely wonderful chatting to you. Fantastic to get so much practical, um, realistic advice, which is so 
important, honest advice. And I have no doubt that you're going to be successful in your in your pupillage, but do keep in touch. Come back to King's as much as you would like to. And we wish you all the best for the start of your pupillage um, in October of this year. So thank you very much, Pavel. Thank you so much, Caroline, and thank you to all the listeners. Good luck.